horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right. Well, racing's regular guy is back in the saddle. I've got my cold one. I got my computer and all I need now is you. Thanks for joining us on Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. Hope everybody had a fantastic holiday season, whatever it is you do celebrate. Uh, had a great time around my place. One of my sons I hadn't seen for about a year came back. It was always good to see Jake. And uh, so it was a good time had by all. And I hope all of you did. Uh, some shakeups in the racing world so much has happened uh since i spoke to you the last time but let me kind of set up our guest uh for tonight first one is a gentleman you know i've had on several times uh joe nevels and i go back about oh i don't know 15 years at least when he was a fledgling intern at the thoroughbred times and he could sense back then that this was a guy that had a passion he developed his talent already had it but has gotten better and better every year stayed in close touch with him and uh he worked his way to the top and right now he's writing for the pollock report and received the eclipse award for best writings on a feature or commentary there's a fantastic article out there story call it what you want it's called biting the dust a long goodbye to mount pleasant meadows and this is such a personal story that joe wrote about sharing this little jewel from his childhood even though most people have never even heard of mount pleasant meadows joe just paints a beautiful picture about the kind of pastoral setting and the funky goings-ons and how everybody helped one another and then he kind of tells the stories uh, through a series of people, uh, uh, trainer Nate Furnell, jockey Lee Gates, uh, track announcer and marketing director Scott Cesarmic. And it was just amazing how he took us through what they went to and what the track meant to them. It, I hope that we have the link up on our site. If not, should be easy enough to find it if you go to the Pollock Report. But I'm telling you, this is uh, it's probably something a lot of us have uh, – gone through in our life uh, one of our favorite tracks that has changed names or moved on or moved their look i know it happened to me uh, four years ago <clears throat> and it is tough it's tough to see something you really love like that all of a sudden be changed so much and once it's changed it is changed forever so we're going to talk about biting the dust uh, a long goodbye to mount pleasant meadows we're going to talk about uh, joe's career and how he kind of just step by step moved his way to the top i remember calling him after he got let go as so many people did uh by the daily racing form and uh, in the great uh, massacre of uh, 2019, and uh, just kind of felt him out, asked if I get some feelers. He said, you know, John, thanks. I'm just not going to move on it yet. I just want to go home to Michigan and get my head right. 
And this is the result of him getting his head right and wondering where his future was going to be in racing, something he always wanted to do was work and write and cover the sport. And now he's doing it at one of the highest levels for sure. So uh, Joe Nevels will be our first guest. Really looking forward to that. And Tom Law who is the head of SMT Publishing, the Saratoga Special, and uh, this is Horse Racing website. Uh, just a fantastic, fun website uh, with a lot of information. Of course, he's teamed up with the Clancy Brothers, so uh, they being former jump jockeys, you get a lot of coverage of the jump scene, and they're located uh, kind of in that uh, you know uh, Virginia area where there's still a lot of timber races and hunt and jump competitions. Uh, there's always great stories on the, this is horse racing. But anyhow, Tom's going to be with us, and we're not just going to do – the year in review, we're going to try to do the decade in review. Um, so uh, Tom Law, very well respected, president of the Turf Publicist of America, will be our second guest. Well, uh, so much has happened um, since actually before Christmas. Last year was a uh, pre-recorded uh, show. Uh one of the good ones we hope we pick for you. If you were trying to kill time and get out of the living room and you know do a little reading uh, about uh, or listening about horse racing, well, we were up there, but I wasn't on live with you. So it's been a lot. Uh, let's see some of the big stories just off the top of my head. Of course, everybody was hoping for Thanksgiving opening of Gulfstream uh, uh, Santa Anita Park, and that didn't happen. Uh, they got rains, and as you know, they're a little bit uh, hoof shy, shall I say, about something, anything that could potentially happen out on the track to give them another black eye. So they elected not to start until Saturday. Uh, I will go over, though, they, they because they were going to have graded stakes winners on Thursday and Friday, the Saturday card uh, was sensational. We'll, we'll take a look at that card uh, and the results. Uh, big racing this weekend. Uh, you go down to Gulfstream. Uh, we've got uh, multiple uh, Mucho Macho Man and the Kitten's Joy on Saturday. And then out at Santa Anita, the San Gabriel and a legitimate Kentucky Derby prep, the One Mile Sham at Santa Anita. Guess what? A six-horse field, and who's got the two favorites? None other than Bob Baffert. We'll take a quick look at that if, if time does allow. Uh, first, uh, the worst headline story that broke was about the slaughter of four thoroughbred stallions in Peru, supposedly for their meat. My God, things must be going terrible. Uh, I wasn't familiar with all the horses except for the lieutenant, who was a half-brother to Scat Daddy. Uh, a lot of potential in those bloodlines for sure, but he was uh, one of the horses that uh, they snuck in. They attacked uh, the uh, guard. Don't know if they killed him or not, but then they went about uh, slaughtering and dismantling the, the four stallions. Uh, so anyhow, there's a lot of speculation about people wondering, is it safe for me to shuttle my horses to South America? And so there'll be a lot of conversation about that going on. It's just it's a it's a real shame that that it did in fact uh, you know ha have to happen, and uh, so. Uh, 
today's headline, to fast forward a little bit, is that uh, Coolmore has acquired a half interest in maximum security, one of the hardest horses uh, of this season to figure out. Uh, you know, is uh, is he moved up in the uh, three-year-old champion picture late in the season? Uh, we'll find out. You know, we didn't have any horses repeat in the Triple Crown races, and none very dominant for that matter. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where a horse that kind of get out of got out of the gate late. Got out of the gate great on Derby Day, but got disqualified to 17th after he crossed the finish line first. Uh, he's still popular, and now Coolmore is buying into it. And uh, they, he is, the good news is, uh, even with this acquisition, he is going to race as uh, a four-year-old. I understand that Coolmore's interest was 50% in the racing and eventual breeding rights. Obviously, uh, no price was put on that. But just think, he'd be joining American Pharaoh and Justify at Ashford Stud near Versailles, Kentucky. So, uh, you know, they, they, they wanted a performer. And that's what he was because his sire's New Year's Day, um, who was not a longtime established sire in North America, who has since, I believe, moved to Japan Boy, make room on that plane because it seems like everybody's getting on that. But uh, so th- they're in agreement about max secure, maximum security's best start. It'll probably be over in the $20 million Saudi Cup. Uh, he's one of the horses that defected when the Pegasus purse at Gulfstream was reduced uh, so much. So he's, uh, he's going for a bigger purse, $20 million in the Saudi Cup. So they're pretty much sure that that is on uh, maximum security schedule. So um, look for him at a track in Saudi Arabia near you. Um, now let's see. Uh, the uh, No big surprises here, you know, in, in New York. Just, you know, Chad Brown, Irad Ortiz, uh, just unbelievable. And uh, the trainer and jockey became the first to top 30 million in North American earnings. Pretty unbelievable, if you ask me. Uh, so uh, they became, you know, the first ones with that number. You know, Chad Brown eats, sleeps, and, and drinks uh, uh, horses all the time. He has no other hobbies or anything. And it looks like uh, one of his trainees, Bricks and Mortar, may go on to uh, Horse of the Year. Uh, situation. We'll find that being announced very soon. And so, uh, you know, he Brown has won the last three Eclipse Award winning as outstanding trainer. And uh, it looks like he's moving to bully his way in a fourth. 219 totals were 222 winners. There's hardly that many days in the year. 27% win for earnings of over 30 one million and uh on the most competitive stage we got he won the longines breeders cup turf with bricks and mortar the breeders cup mile uh, with uh, uh uni and the breeders cup juvenile turf with structures unbelievable what a day uh so his hard work is paying off and it's the 12th year that his stables have uh, increased in earnings since he took out his license in 2007 and uh, ortiz not only became the first jockey to surpass the 30 million dollar mark he left the previous mark in a cloud of dust 
uh, Ortiz's record in 2019 checked in at $34 million. Pretty amazing stuff. Well, uh, we talked uh, briefly, even though we didn't get to talk on the air about this, but you're probably chomping at the bit for some good racing. And last Saturday at Turfway Park, well, you wanted good racing. There it is. Uh, Let's go with the grade one. Malibu. No surprise here. It looked like a public workout. Omaha Beach, another horse who, like Maximum Security, has had an interesting, uh, although disrupted, uh, three-year-old career. Looks like he's going to stick around for the Pegasus Cup as his swan song before he goes off to stud at Spendthrift Farm. But Omaha Beach takes the grade one Malibu. Running second was Roadster, who won the uh, Santa Anita Derby Uh I got to say last year now, isn't it weird? Uh, Now that we've crossed the threshold to a new decade. But anyhow, Omaha Beach, very impressive. Almost looked like a public workout. Then in the grade one, American Oaks. It was a really good uh, final furlong between Mucho Unusual and Lady Prance-A-Lot. It was Joe Bravo. Getting the job done, squeezing in along the rail with Lady Prance a lot. So that was a really fun race to watch. Then in the Mathis Brothers Mile, that was a grade two. And the winner there, five wide all the way. He was best of all, Mo Forza, a son of Uncle Mo, just got it late over the Irish bred originaire. And then in the grade one, La Brea, it was hard not to love. And how about Mike Smith? He got the record for grade one wins, uh, tying with Jerry Bailey and would soon go on past him. This horse was raided and just exploded in the final furlong. Only bad race of his career came in the Angel Flight at seven furlongs at Santa Anita. Uh, so he's going to be one to watch, or she rather. Uh, she's only a three-year-old filly trained by John Sheriffs. Written by Mike Smith. Congratulations to Mikey Boy. <coughs> well, a lot of other things happened since we last spoke to you on the air, but we can't go through them all because we got two sensational guests waiting in the green room. Up first, a guy uh, that, uh, as I told you, the head of the show, I've watched his career w- with anticipation very much, and it has come to fruition with the winning of an Eclipse Award. The one and only Joe Nevels, who writes for the Pollock Report. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, I gave him a pretty good tease at the top of the show here. We have with us now Joe Nevels from the Pollock Report. I told you I watched this uh, at the time young man, who's now a grown man, uh, putzing around the paddock at River Downs as an intern with the Thoroughbred Times. I forget who his mentor was at the time. And um, at him, we, got it, he, we introduced him to Pat Lang. Of course, he's more interested in Pat's daughter, Emily, at the time, though those times have changed. Uh, and anyhow, uh, you, you could just sense, as I told you, that, uh, that this was a guy that, that was just sitting on potential and the fuse was ready to go off. And it did. Uh, everybody in uh, Lexington embraced him. And uh, since then, he's done nothing but good things. But in this sport of ours, there's no higher award for writing than the Eclipse Award. Joe, I am so happy for you. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much, John. You know, you've been somebody who's been a huge help for me from, you know, like you said, since I was a freaked out intern at River Downs. So that was, you know, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to share this with you. I, I, thank you so much for all you've done. Well, uh, it, it wasn't much, uh, but uh, I, I'm just saying, I told you, I just, I, I read the story again two times <laughs> this week and at the bottom of the interview, we'll, we'll, we'll go through it. But before we get to the interview, something I always loved about you, and I love this about Tom Lamara too, is that uh, you guys have such an appreciation for the little guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's something that I just grew up with. I grew up, at, you know, the story that I won the Eclipse for is about a track called Mount Pleasant Meadows in central Michigan where, um, you know, the average daily handle could, couldn't buy you a decent used car most days. And it's just, it's something that I came up with myself and it's, you know, it's the language that I know how to speak. So it's what I try to do best. Well, you did it. And what I liked <laughs> is this is the same way I, I like books when they do this, <clears throat> when they kind of set the story and then they see it through the eyes and the voice of different people that are all part of the tapestry. And uh, you, you brought in um, trainer Nate Funnel, uh, jockey Lee Gates, uh, track announcer and marketing director Scott Sinerzik, and I just ruined his name. Um, but, so each, 
each each one of these guys worked at a totally different level at the track, but each had a marvelous story to tell during your story. And then obviously looking down the road, like so many people from that area, where do we go now? Um, you, you did a great job pulling the message uh, from the minds of these guys, Joe. Well, they've, when I set out to write this story, the track Mount Pleasant Meadows closed in the winter of 2014. And from that time on, I've been wanting to write something about it. And I wanted to grab the people that I most associated in my mind with the track. And it was these three guys. Um, you know, Nate Funnel was somebody that I can always picture on horseback, pony in the horses and, you know, jaw jacking with people in the crowd as they go by. And, you know, Lee Gates was the, you know, he's the, you know, he's the jockey that I think of when I think of Mount Pleasant Meadows. He's a guy who during the weekday works at a factory and rides at Mount Pleasant during the weekends. And, you know, then goes down to Indiana. You know, he'd ride the car, the afternoon cart at Mount Pleasant Meadows then drive five hours down to Indiana Downs and ride the quarter horse card down there. And that's just, you know, because you love the game. And Scott just, he was the public face of the track. There's no other way of putting it. He's the guy that you dealt with at the bar. You bought your programs from him. You heard him in the announcer's booth. And, you know, these are the, he, the man did everything. He, he even punched tickets. And it was, these, when, when I think back, like, these are the, these are the faces and the voices that I'll always think of when I think about Mount Pleasant Meadows. And if I was going to do this story the way that I wanted to have it come off, their voices had to be in this thing. And they were all very gracious with their time. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the writing of, uh, Rod Serling. And I watch a lot of twilight zones and I'll tell you, oh, I love the twilight zone. It's too bad you couldn't have given him this script. And when, when, when you went back in time, even though was, there was not much there, I mean, um, that uh, you, you, you set the scene um, that uh, it, going back, and these are your words, uh, this was the first time the place didn't have that unique smell I'd long associated with it. Even years after the horses left for good, an odd mix of vinyl seat cushions baked by the sun, cigarettes in the open breeze, the stuff you'd find under a trainer's boot. It sounds appalling, but I knew exactly where I was when it was in the air, and it was comforting. Those are beautiful words, but let me close it out with this. I'm not closing out the interview, but one by one, in our own ways, we all had to move on from that place, first physically, then emotionally. The former was done out of necessity. For some, it's the latter that's tricky. For the first time in my life, I knelt at an altar that had provided so much inner guidance, and I heard nothing back. Perhaps that was the point. Wow, Joe Navels, where did you pull that one? Oof, but, a lot of inspiration and, frankly, a little bit of ripping off Bruce Springsteen. Oh, well, that's okay. We, we all have people <laughs> we go to for our muse. Uh, but, uh, again, going back to the Serling setting, I could just see you sitting in an abandoned uh, uh, grandstand uh, as you kind of did towards the end of, the, I think it was the Michigan Sire Series. And uh, I think it was Joe came up and uh, handed you a Coke and you just kind of sat there looking over uh, the, the track as it, I almost see like a, a Twilight Zone wind thing where it breezes across and all of a sudden time changes and you're back to 
what, however big their heyday was, uh, and then all of a sudden these characters one by one could be interwoven into the story. I mean, this would make just a great Twilight Zone because you you, you lay the picture and then you fast forward and then you reflect. It, it, and it's something he does a lot in his writing. And mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you what, if Serling was alive today, uh, he, he'd be taking you to court. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We need like some sort of twist that like defies my hubris on this. Like when my gr- when I have glasses and they break at the end of it, and I'd just be doomed to be stuck there forever. Or would I can't read would the presume form. that I'm actually would I actually be a ghost or like so- something something bad would have to happen to me at the end of this? But you know, to, to your to your original points, yeah, this is a, basically a series of me sitting in the same chair over the course of several different settings over you know the better part of a decade really and you know that last one i went up there um you know just to be up there and see what was going on and i actually did a lot of writing for that scene in the very end of the story while i was sitting there um i took my laptop out there and just kind of wrote what i was looking around at and it was just you know it was very quiet and it's always been a very quiet place but it was a different kind of quiet Oh, you know, I, I can really see this after reading it uh, being turned into a screenplay. Um, it just it sets itself up for that, but it's all real. And you paint such a beautiful, though melancholy, picture of the place and its events. And that's the thing that, you know, I wanted this. I, I had some, you know, I had, I had some people kind of criticize me. There wasn't really much of a happy ending to it, but there you know, that was kind of the point of it is that there wasn't a happy ending to it. And, um, I don't know if you, if you know anybody that can sell a screenplay, I'd be happy to talk to them. <laughs> well, yeah, this is a great one. This is, this is a, a great, because just think <laughs> of how deep you could go on the different personalities. You could write a few storylines, you know, a love interest, you know, the, the, the horse breakdown and then coming back, you know, to win the Michigan sire stakes or something. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go, but, uh, I, I, I do digress. Um, the other thing that to me was really touching is when, when, when you talk about, uh, that, uh, you know, finally, uh, you had just what you wanted. You were getting paid a living wage to file the recap for one of the racing's most distinguished publications. And uh, that uh, shortly after uh, you were part of the 2019 DRF massacre, um, you, you, it sounded like you just went up there to clear your head. I really did. And it's kind of funny, uh, you know, you mentioned that during the Sire Stakes recap, you know, I was getting the living wage. Like this was, I was living the dream there and something that got left on the cutting room floor in this story, which it's a 6,000 word story. Believe it or not, a lot of things did get cut. Um, one thing that happened at Great Lakes Downs in about 2004, give or take, this is well before anything happens here. I was talking to CA Shoemaker, who was the DRF correspondent at that time for Michigan. And I asked her, how do I get a job like yours? And she looked me flat in the face and said, wait for someone to die. <laughs> and with, with, within a decade, I was writing the, I was, I basically had her job. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what happened to her. I assume she's still alive and well. I think I charted her on Facebook to make sure, but it was one of those things that, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know. It, it's amazing to see how far you can come in a very small amount of time. And, you know, from there to filing that recap to where we are now, it's just crazy to see those time jumps. 
Yeah, seriously, seriously. Well, um, I mean, what's next? You can't go up there anymore. Uh, you, you know, I, I guess you just kind of wait and see where the racing gods take you. Yeah, I mean, I'm the Bloodstock editor for the Pollock Report, so I'm on the auction scene. I'll be heading down to Ocala for several sales. I'll be going down to Gulfstream Park for those sales. Um, you know, I'll be going out to Baltimore for the Preakness, all the sales in Kentucky. So I got, I got plenty on my plate to keep me busy. Well, that's good. Well, uh, now, does your wife Natalie realize she's going to have to move her Eclipse Award over on the mantle to make room for yours now? Well, we've already got hers on one side of the mantle, and we're going to, once we get mine down in Miami at the end of the month, we're going to put one on one side and one on the other, and we're probably going to take a couple cheesy pictures with both of us holding our trophies because, to my knowledge, I need to go back and check and make sure. I don't know if married couples ever won Eclipse Awards before, like I would, each, of, I, each you, half of it. You might want to take a look at uh, Mark and Mary Simon. I don't know that yeah. for sure. But I know that they've been on the scene long enough and have won plenty of awards. They they might be in the running there. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's a, let's face it, it's pretty damn rare. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, you you, you you do everything. You try to do everything with humility. But we are going to live this up a little bit while we can. You know, this is this is this is a special occasion. Well, I uh, you know what? Another one just came to mind. Some friends of mine, and uh, that is uh, Brian Hernandez who won the Eclipse Award as Leading Apprentice, and his wife, Jamie, won the Eclipse Award uh, for photography about five years ago. Hey, there you go. Got those deep cuts. Good work. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're not so special. We only got two. I get it, Joe. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I just tipped you for your birthday cake. I apologize very much. But uh, but, uh, anyhow, you know, the main thing is, is I, I got so much pleasure out, out of reading this, and I'm not just blowing your horn, pal, um, that I, I we're supposed to put the link on our site, but sometimes people forget what uh, what happened. And so uh, is, is there a way, what's the easiest way to get to your story? Well, the easiest way is probably just to Google search it. The story is called Biting the Dust, A Long Goodbye to Mount Pleasant Meadows. Um, search that. I'm sure it'll be one of, if not the first thing that pops up. Um, it's a pretty lengthy read, so carve yourself out a little bit of time to do it. But, you know, I've spent over five years working on it. Um, I poured basically all of my free time in that span of time, nights, weekends, sitting in airports trying to get this thing done and get this thing done right. So uh, I hope people enjoy it. Oh, I am sure that they will. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I got I got to ask you this. Um, what, what was it like? I mean, is it like the uh, NFL draft? Do you get a phone call at 6 in the morning, or how does that work? So what happened was uh, Jim Gluckson with the Breeders' Cup called me on Christmas Eve, the morning of Christmas Eve, and told me that uh, – you know, I'd won and that, you know, we'd get stuff in place to do a quick interview for the press release and gave me details on everything. And he ends the phone call with saying, basically, don't tell anyone besides your family and your boss until we put the release out. So I had to go all over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and I think the day after without telling anyone except for 
basically my wife, my mother, and my boss, and it killed me. It's one of those things that you just, I actually, I went out and had the best run I'd ever had after this news came out because my heart rate was just pumping so much. I had to go burn off energy. So it's, well, just, it's uh, the kind of thing that yeah, I can it, imagine it, that it, had to be it, uh, staying tight lipped on that when you'd really want to kind of jump up through flips and let the whole world know that you've achieved one of the uh, greatest things in writing. Who would have thought 15, whatever it was years ago when I saw you poking around the paddock at River Downs that I'd be end up talking to an Eclipse Award winner. And all I can say is, Joe, it didn't come easy. I followed your career <laughs> ever since then. And, uh, I just knew, uh, you know, after the racing form had that big shakeup that uh, that y- you were one guy that was going to land on his feet. And I- I'm so glad you have. And it, and it looks like you're you're ha- having a good ride with the Pollock report. Yeah, that's, you know, I'm really happy and I'm honored, John. You are, after all, you are, of course, my official photographer. You're the picture. Yes. <laughs> you're the, your picture is the one that's been going, making the rounds with all the Eclipse stuff. So you are oh, indeed good. sharing in this. And <laughs> so you're, yeah, that's your, you've, you've been a big part of molding my image. Well, I, I appreciate it. You're a handsome man. You always wear the same hat. You must have two dozen of them in your trunk someplace because they all look new. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, um, it looks like uh, we, we've uh, still got a, I got a few minutes left, according to my producer. I've gone too fast. I thought I thought I'd end up going an hour and bumping Tom Law. But uh, so a- anyhow, in looking back this year, what are like the one or two or three things that kind of stick with you from 2019 besides you winning the award, of course. Do you, John, do you want these things to be happy things or honest things? Honest. Well, I mean, it's hard to look at the year without feel, feeling fearful and curious about what 2020 and beyond are going to hold just from the view of public perception of how the races are, you know, viewed um how the government percepts perceives things you know california is in a lot of trouble it seems and it's i think it's going to be something that is going to spread a lot quicker than people think if one major state falls and i wish i knew where the end of that story was going to be but i don't well, I was hoping it might be over on Breeders' Cup Day until that uh, final furlong uh, kind of changed everything. Uh, you know, it was like everything was going great, and then, ah, no, that didn't just happen, did it? I just kept my fingers crossed we'd get through the day without incident, so so that hurt. Now, how about, what's your read? This one really, you know, kind of cankled my sore spot uh the justify scopolamine debacle that's one that i it's really hard to have a take on it because i wish i had more information on everything i'm not sure how much i trust the source on that one but i know the chrb came off looking very poorly in that the biggest the biggest thing that we can prove here is that you know they didn't do a great job handling the situation in a timely manner. And it seems like they've made a lot of changes within the CHRB. I think ultimately there'll be positive changes and hopefully people learn from their mistakes on it and handle these things much more diligently. Uh, 
let's see. There was another one I want. Oh, how how about our now famous Kentucky Derby? Oh boy. Okay. So the Stewarts did their job there. It could have been explained better, perhaps, but I feel like what was what was supposed to happen by the letter of the law happened. And any anything, th- there's nothing in court that can change that at this point. Try 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 as certain connections might. Well, you know what what happened happened. Uh, I just I pray we hear back from Country House. I mean, you know, to think that the. Uh, you know, that we haven't seen the Derby winner, and I'm just hoping it's not another Giacomo, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I suppose we'll see. It's been, you know, it's really kind of the cherry on top of a weird year, but, you know, I asked you if you wanted positive or honest, and I do want to give you a positive one before our time is up here. And uh, oh, We, get, one, we got plenty of time. Fantastic. For this one, I'm going to the world of Arabian racing and back to Mount Pleasant Meadows. Yes. So there was a horse in... There is a horse that broke his maiden at Mount Pleasant in 2013 named Quick and Rich, who has become one of the best uh, Arabians in the country, if not the world. And he uh, ran at age nine last year. And his very last race before he retired, he won a grade one at Delaware Park. Wow. And this this is a horse that I've been following from. I was at his first race that he won. Uh, he won the $100,000 race at Churchill Downs, most valuable Arabian race in the country. He's gone on to... Uh, Abu Dhabi to run in the most expensive Arabian race in the world, and now he's been retired, and the last I checked, he is going to become an endurance horse. So he's got himself a nice second career, and he's that, been one that's just been very inspiring, you know, to see to, to see uh, something from Mount Pleasant Meadows go on and make noise on the national scene has been very inspiring to me in my own career. Alright, Joe, now you just touched upon something, and you're the only person I know uh, that is an authority on this. And I've always been to ask you, like, when's a big Arabian race so I can call you and kind of pick your brain? Uh, first of all, how did you even be made aware of Arabian, Arabian racing? And I understand that, you know, you were a correspondent for uh, the Arabian Horse magazine. I don't know the exact title. Uh, how did that all come about? Uh, first off, that was Arabian Finish Line magazine that I was with. And this, again, goes back to Mount Pleasant Meadows. It was a mixed breed track. They ran thoroughbreds, quarter horses, paints, Arabians. If it had four legs and said nay, they probably had a race for it. So I got in with the Arabian community there. They got me hooked up with Arabian Finish Line. And being working with Arabian Finish Line got me set up with uh, national exposure with you know Arabian racing throughout the country and throughout the world. And that's you know, eventually led me to starting a podcast about Arabian racing. I'd go to the Darley Awards. Um, they have their big race in Kentucky. They've had it at Churchill Downs. They've had it at Keeneland. They've had it at uh, they had it on Preakness Day one year. And it's just been exciting to be a part of it. So their big race kind of rolls around a little bit in that they're trying to look for a good venue where they already know there's going to be an audience. It's pretty much found a home at Churchill Downs. A lot of the, this race in particular is sponsored by um, some UAE connections. So that's how they get a lot of their purse money. And they like running at the biggest events. Uh, They've sponsored races at the Breeders' Cup before, uh, Santa Anita. They had a race at Monmouth Park. And, you know, Churchill Downs is, you know, 
one of the, the most recognizable tracks in the country, so they want to have the Arabians run there. They usually run on uh, Stephen Foster night, so they get a big crowd there, and they just like to get into spots that get them as much visibility as possible, and Churchill Downs has been that for several years now. Well, I guess, you know, so many people are saying, yeah, it's the end of the year, but it's also uh, the, the end of a decade. And I'm kind of going back the, the last 10 years and uh, l- looking at some of, some of the headline horses that kind of grabbed us. So I'm just going to let you uh, paint with a broad brush of uh, what their impact had uh, on, on thoroughbred racing. Because I'd have to say the number one story, even though we had two Triple Crown winners, was American Pharaoh after the huge 27-year gap. Of course. that's you know I've seen a lot of people talk about their horses of the decade, and it would be very difficult to put anyone but American Pharaoh on top, not only for what he did on the racetrack, but for the buzz that he created in the breeding shed afterward. And, you know, he finished 2019 as the leading freshman sire by earnings, I believe. Um, I need to go back and check those for sure, but I'm fairly certain he finished as the top freshman sire by I earnings. Think he he had a breeders, yeah. He had a Breeders' Cup winner in his first crop. He had arguably the best book of mares in recent memory for his first year. So he had no reason not to succeed and he did succeed. So he's, you know, he did it all. He did everything you needed to see him do on the track. And he, so far he's doing a lot of what you need to see him do on the, at the stud so far, so good for American Pharaoh. Well, uh, I, I think another one that had for us, cause you know, Joe, we're always looking for a hero or somebody that, people can latch on to and it was kind of i won't call it the rags to riches but a smaller stable coming up with a horse like california chrome and what that horse did for the sport absolutely and it seemed like he and he's engaged a lot of fans who took into that story and you know they're just it's getting harder and harder to find those kinds of stories of people who don't come into it as established dynasties who are, you know, I don't want to say rich get richer because even the California Chrome people were already very well off, but, you know, something new, something fresh, something that you isn't a conventional route to greatness. And California Chrome was very much not a conventional route to greatness. And he, you know, became one of the best horses in training, one of the best horses of the decade. Well, here's when we forget a little bit. I don't, but, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind, uh, is the impact and the impression that Zenyatta left with the racing fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's one of the biggest fan favorites. She's, a, she's one of those horses that did her best running when I was first coming into turf riding, into getting full-time jobs and stuff. So she's a horse that's really stuck with me over the, over the years. Um, it's hard. It's hard not, to, it's hard to see. I don't know. It's, it's hard not to see why because her running style was so exciting. She'd always come from dead last. People came to expect it, and you knew that any time that stretch run was coming, it was going to be electric, and it always was every single time. Win or lose, more often than not win, you were going to get a show with Zenyatta. And looking to, to you know, looking forward to her foals, her first full Cosmic One caused a lot of excitement when he was coming in. She's still looking for that first really dynamite runner, uh, she's got a few in the pike that are coming in, and she's, you know, she's been bred to the best stallions. So, hopefully, one of them gets going eventually. Well, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't mention another horse that uh, maybe didn't. 
captured the eye of the public like a California Chrome American Pharaoh did. But what she accomplished on the track, no female horses won more grade ones than Beholder. Oh, what a what a superstar Beholder was. She just she held the the entire division in her hoof over the course of so many years. It's really like you said, it's I feel like for a horse that won as many Eclipse Awards and many Breer's Cups as she has, she kind of goes underrated, and that's a yeah. shame. Um, because she really did just about anything that a Philly or mare can do. She won the Breer's Cup at two. She won, you know, she won the Breer's Cup as an older mare. Basically, the only thing that she didn't do was stay healthy long enough to face American Pharaoh in the Breer's Cup Classic. That would have been a that would have been a corker of a match. I tell you what, just. Those, those, those two battling down the stretch would have been something for the history books, and it's a shame we never got to see that. But I don't know. She just, she's an outstanding horse. She's got, I think her first foal is a two-year-old this year, I want to say. Zenyatta? So, no. Uh, Beholder. Oh, oh, Beholder. Beholder. I'm not sure if she's two-year-old or not. I've seen some great pictures from Ann Eberhardt. Uh, at the at the blood horse of her and her baby, uh, but it was it was just sensational. I mean, finishing up as a six year old, and the fact that they kept her in training, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and then finishing off her six year old year with that nose victory off another sensational horse of the decade, Songbird, was mm-hmm. just truly amazing. I mean, you hate to see any great horse get beat, but when she gets beat by another great horse, that's just horse racing. Exactly. And that's something that modern horse racing seems to struggle with is that sometimes you're going to lose races. You know, even, you know, the, the best horses out there in, you know, any number of decades before this lost races and they were fine. They were still great. And I don't know, for some reason that mentality seems to have shifted a little bit. And it's kind of a shame because it keeps good horses from facing each other until they absolutely have to. Well, uh, Joe, this has just been fantastic. I, I, I know I kind of took you off the path of, uh, you know, just uh, uh, beating your chest about your Eclipse Award. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, of me beating my chest, being proud of you and winning the Eclipse Award. But I, I just thought, while I got Joe, he knows a little bit about everything now because that's his business, uh, that, that we'd kind of, you know, roll down that past decade together uh it, it it's it's been an interesting one but you know it, as you kind of said at the top good news or bad news and the, the things that we're facing in the days ahead some of it may be a good wake-up call but some of it joe might be a little bit too restrictive from some do-gooders now i know i sound kind of snotty there but when you're talking about you know Taking a steering wheel off a 1,200-pound uh, car going 45 miles an hour, that's not good. And, you know, I really think uh, the, the trying to get the whips out of the jockey's hand is insane. I can understand if maybe you don't want them, you know, rat a tat tat and all the way down the stretch. But let's face it. You know and I know there's horses that without the urging, it's say, hey, I'm going to eat oats tonight anyhow. Why do I got to run in the yard? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that I want to do more, you know, research into. I'd like to sit down and talk with some people before I, you know, formally make a stance going in whatever direction from the admittedly less educated than I probably ought to be stance. It seems important that they at least have the stick in their hands. 
Um, you know, as you said, you know, paddling them like a canoe, not what you want to see, not what should happen. But it seems like from a safety measure, it's, yeah, it's, it's a giant animal. You need something that can be able to control them. Yeah, if only to make them change leads on the turn. I mean, that's how they're trained in the morning. They get that tap on the shoulder, and mm-hmm. they, they move to their other leg, and that's safety. So horses are running on his left lead all the way around the track. I don't know mm-hmm. if you got to read some of the comments from the Jockeys Guild, and, and Johnny V and these guys were adamant about, do you folks have any idea what you're proposing? You know, this is ridiculous. You you want to talk about deaths in racing, you're going to have them when these horses are going over fences and jockeys are getting killed. So um, I, I just hope they pull back from that. And I know how I stand on it. But quite frankly, you know, I think a lot of this came out of the breakdowns at Santa Anita. Certainly the, 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 the whip conversation, I believe, started there. And, and the other thing is, Whips don't kill horses, and neither does Lasix. What's your feel about trying to pull Lasix on all these horses? I mean, if my kid is playing a sport and he gets a bloody nose and I can give him a pill to make it stop, I'm going to do it. That's another one that I admittedly need to do more research before I put an official stance on the airwaves. Oh, it's, Joe, nobody's listening to the show. It's just you and me, so you know, feel free. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those things that it seems like a lot of other countries seem to manage without it, and I would like to know more about how they're managing before I go and say either, yes, life is, is great, we need to keep it, or no, completely get rid of it. It seems like a lot of other people man- are managing without it, and I want to know more about why. Well, I think they run shorter meets, and I also have found it very interesting that as soon as the European horses come over here to North America, it's first-time Lasix, because they're not allowed to use it over there, but they're happy (laughs) to do it here to open up those airwaves and let a horse uh, lose a few pounds through its diuretic effects. That is something that I'm concerned about, is that I feel like some horsemen might be using it just because everybody else is, and you don't want to be the guy that's left out. That that's a problem. Um, you know, you just if your horse can run without it, I don't think you should have it. But it's just like anything else. You know, I, you, I mentioned before how I how I feel about the whiff, but I can understand from a metric standpoint for someone who knows nothing about the sport how saying they're hitting the horse with a stick can sound bad and I can sound understand how saying they're giving the horse drugs sounds bad. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot of fine lines to balance. Well, Joe Nevels, I took way more time than I intended to. And since then, we've given everybody a chance to get a pencil and a pad of paper. Once again, biting the dust, a long goodbye to Mount Pleasant Meadows. Uh, Trust me, folks. I've been around a while. I think you do trust me. Please find a way to get that story and read it. And then um, let's see if we can bring back Rod Serling from the Dead and make this into a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for. Didn't they just bring back the Twilight Zone? Isn't Jordan, oh, to, isn't Jordan, to, Peele, had, isn't, isn't Jordan Peele on that? It's yeah. It's not the same, but what they did do, and I've been a very happy man for the last forty-eight hours, is they always do a a New Year's marathon, and mm-hmm. they do t- two days on this one channel of nothing but uh, Twilight Zones. It's uh, it's it's pretty sensational. I really enjoy it. Outstanding. And they, 
Well, well you, you know, I go back way before you, but the actors that went on to become huge actors like Walter Matthau and Robert Redford, people like that, got their start in the Twilight Zone. It's, it's oh, pretty absolutely. amazing. Yeah. When, when, you, when you look at the litany of people that started their career in black and white on the Twilight Zone and ended up being big actors, it's pretty amazing. But again, <laughs> we digress. Biting the dust, a long <laughs> goodbye to Mount Pleasant Meadows, an Eclipse Award-winning story written by Joe. Joe, I took up way too much of your time, but it was kind of an easy ride. Thanks so much, man, and Happy New Year. My pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah, have a great year. All right. That was Joe Neville's The Eclipse Award-winning writer. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. and we come back, we're going to sign off. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. Well, that pretty much closes out the show. I want to thank Joe Nevels. Uh, the conversation just kept going. I love listening to the guy. I love watching his career. And uh, I don't know, it went so long we had to bump Tom Law. So we'll try to get Tom back. Uh, the decade's not going anywhere. He can review that with us maybe next week. So uh, for my producer, Josh, I want to tell you folks go over pull down our easy win forms we've been hitting big south of the border uh just yesterday one dollar super at Gulfstream over 1500 tampa bay downs uh, the day before one dollar super five 1700 and tampa again the day before that a one dollar super five for another seventeen hundred dollars all right easy win forms winning posy i'm john Engelhart. tune in we'll see you next week have a great new year everyone Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.